that is really one of the more dangerous ones we can have because we become accustomed to living and dying off other people's opinions instead of our own efforts, how well we're showing up and what matters most to us. And Bronnie Ware said it best in in her book, The Five Regrets of the Dying, that went viral Mm -hmm. 20 years ago now, uh, that the number one regret most people had was living a life for others instead of what was Mm -hmm. true for themselves. And so they allowed the fear of other people's opinions to dictate how they showed up. And that's Mm -hmm. always stuck with me because the last thing we want is to get to where there's no time left on the clock with the burden that we didn't do what we wanted because we were worried about, for a lot of instances, what strangers we would never meet in real life had to say about what we were going to do. Welcome to the Mindset Coach Academy podcast. I'm Lindsay Wilson, and I am a high-performance mindset coach, a mom, a former professional athlete, and an entrepreneur. I help coaches and high performers optimize their mindset to improve their coaching, their performance, and those of their athletes, and their lives. Here, you'll learn all about mindset, how to live it, how to teach it, and how to sell it. Guys, today we are lucky to have Jake Thompson in the house, in the studio, sitting down and talking with us from Compete Every Day. Now, Jake is not only an author, a speaker, a coach, and a businessman, but he really lives this stuff every day. And his whole brand, you know, you can just go check it out at competeeveryday.com. He's got t-shirts and just really cool messages. And it's all about pushing yourself every day. And I know he really, really lives it. And I love sitting down with Jake. He's a friend and we always get on and and shoot the shit and talk about business and talk about what's hard and talk about what's good. And he doesn't hold back giving advice and talking about what's worked for him. One of the things that I really want you to listen to today is this idea of can't see choices that turn into can't miss results. So I won't go into it right now, but you'll definitely want to listen to this interview. I think you'll get some really good nuggets for your life, which we always try to give actionable things that you can implement today. So I'll leave you to it. Here we go. Jake Thompson from Compete Every Day. All right, guys, we have Jake Thompson in the house. Hi, Jake. What's up, Lindsay? Good to hang out. I always, I always love hanging out with you. And I always love your like motivational background and shirts and everything. <laughs> yeah, I like gotta bring it. Ones. Gotta bring I it. I know. I, yeah, I get motivated from you. I see your little posts on social media. For those of you that aren't following, your Compete Everyday brand is inspiring. I love how like your community is always just about getting after it. It's really cool. Thanks. It's been a lot of fun over, God, it's been 11 years now uh, chasing this crazy dream. Yeah. Well, you're doing it. I know you're inspiring a lot of people on the way. Um, tell me what's new in your world. What's going on? What are you struggling with? What's what's under the hood, Jake Thompson? Yeah, under the hood. So I, I don't know if you knew this, but like I am a lifelong ADHD battler. So my focus <laughs> is... I'm surrounded by ADHD. Okay, so, so completely understand. So I, That's and, why I like you so much. There we go. <laughs> and so if today goes off the rails, I'm going to take full credit for that. Um, but yeah, you know, for me, it's always... Focus has always been a battle making sure I'm not chasing shiny objects, especially, you know, this owning a business is so easy to chase things off the path from what you need to be chasing. And as my schedule has gotten bananas, as we've talked about with a ton more travel states opening back up, companies finally having in-person events again, where I can go speak, I'm traveling a lot more. So my free time has been greatly compressed. And so for me, it's a constant battle of what do I need to be saying no to more often And then making sure that every day I'm really intentional with just kind of the non-negotiables. Like if I have 
20 minutes to work out and that's it, I'm not going to make it to the gym. Can I go in the garage and do some burpees or squats and just get something done? Can I go on a walk around the neighborhood? Can I make sure that I'm reading every day? Like the things that I need to be doing every day to fill my bucket up, making sure that I don't allow what limited window I have keep me from actually doing a little bit of it. And so that's kind of been the, the struggle as of late, because until I get adjusted to the travel schedule, which I feel like I'm close, everything is a learning process of like, oh, that, that did not work that trip. We've got to have a better plan going in next time. Or, oh, this is actually working for me. How can I maintain this focus and energy level the next trip? What I need to read. I love that concept because so much of what I talk about with my students is like how we are feeling about how we're doing instead of just like having that sort of like, we call it the frantic employee versus the CEO and like getting above the fray and saying like, how can I manage my, I mean, time, we weren't even planning on talking about this, but let's talk. Productivity and time management is a freaking mindset issue. Like it is the place that people can go even without ADHD, they can go off the rails at any moment. And it's like, especially when you're a solopreneur, like, you know, you're, no one's telling you what to do. So you're sitting here like, should I do this thing that feels really good and is maybe easy? And, or should I go do this other thing that's maybe a little harder? And how quickly can I get these things done? And how can I manage my, the hours of the day? Because anybody I'm, can work 80 hours a week. Anybody. And I laugh that it's, ne- I've never been more compelled to do laundry, to clean my garage, to clean a closet, <laughs> to reorganize my office than when I have a big project to do. Because yep. the big project is vague, it's scary. And I'm like, I can reorganize my office. I'm a little more productive if my desk is over here. Like I have those absolute same battles. And, and I'm seeing a lot of with my clients, especially this time management issues you talked about, because it, it's purely mental. Because what happens is if we set aside the time to time block and we're going to do these things, life is imperfect. Mm-hmm. You can have the absolute perfect plan going into a basketball game. It's not going to go according to plan. Something's yeah. going to go off the rails. And sports success is how quickly can you respond to the imperfections? Mm-hmm. Same happens when you're managing your time. When you are pulled off track, can you quickly reset, rebound, get focused back on the plan you had or adjusting it? Or do you do what most people do? And like, well, this time blocking thing, this, this just doesn't work for me. I'm just going to go with the flow every day. And then you're wondering like, why am I so inconsistent with my progress? Why am mm-hmm. I really not getting the right priorities done? I'm, I'm always so busy. And nobody wants to be busy at the end of the day because busy is like being a hamster on a wheel. You're running, 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 you're exhausted. Productive, you're running, you're exhausted, but you can look up and say, I got that done, I got that done, I got that done, I'm moving in the right direction. Well, it's such an easy excuse, right? I mean, I got three of them. I got three excuses that are always waiting for me. And I have to, you know, manage that. And everybody has something, right? And, And it's like, it's so easy to just, throw your hands up and say, I'm too busy. And it's like, yeah, maybe you're too busy to do everything. Maybe you, you probably can't do everything, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. but if you have, I mean, I just noticed myself, I always laugh. Like if we're going on like a family trip and it's like, we have, if I start getting things done, like if we, if we do a later flight of the day, like no matter whether we leave at like 10 AM or 4 PM, it takes the same amount of time to get ready and get out the door. Like, it, it takes well, whatever that time amount is that I have, we take. Right. Yeah. And it's like, it's the same with a work day. Like I can get so much done in a couple hours. If I one take that time to plan ahead of time and know what I'm going to be doing. But anyway, I you just, think, I'm, well, I'm think, constantly amazed. So 
for me in high school, during football season, when I had practices, when I had mm-hmm. watched game film on the weekends, when I had all this, I was always on top of assignments and work, like always yep. on it. Spring mm-hmm. semester, man, I let it run all the way to the deadline because yeah. I would give myself all that time. And you're, you're right. We do it now all the time. I find I'm incredibly focused and productive when I travel because I've got like a two hour window in the morning. I got to get some writing emails, all of this stuff done before I go spend the day with a client. Mm-hmm. Whereas on a normal day, I might spend six hours, seven hours with those same activities because mm-hmm. I'm not as constrained in those times. And so that goes back to Parkinson's law that work expands to the amount of time we give it. <laughs> and, and so the point of having that time management and blocks and deadlines is so crucial to just be more efficient and effective with our time. Well, and then that cortisol to your prefrontal cortex, yeah. especially yours, oh, yeah. um, you know, like they, it really helps. Yeah, it really yeah. helps. That's why I was saying use a shot clock. Okay. Yep. Speaking of that. So I think this kind of segues nicely into what we were going to talk about, which is fear, right? I mean, so much of that self-sabotage comes down to fear. So I know you're doing a lot of work with your clients and with yourself. Tell me about fear. What do we need to know? Yeah. So fear, I love the idea that people love to promote this idea of being fearless. Mm-hmm. However, I actually believe that that's kind of a unicorn worth chasing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the goal is not to be fearless, but to learn to fear less. It's to change the relationship with fear. If you've ever seen Free Solo, the documentary about Alex Honnold climbing the yes. uh, sheer face Crazy. wall, yes. it, it's nuts. But what scientists looked at was like, well, his brain just doesn't process fear the same way. It's a different chemical reaction. That's the reason he's able to do this. And when they started putting him through studies, they realized like, oh no, his brain works just like the rest of ours. He's simply done the work, put himself in position after position after position, got all those reps to make it less scary than the average person, Mm -hmm. as well as when he feels that fear and and he starts to notice it, his self-awareness goes up and what he starts to focus on and how he tries to control his breathing changes. Whereas most of us, we never put ourselves in those positions. Mm -hmm. And so we panic. And most of us never even think about fear unless you're going into a haunted house, you're going to get on a roller coaster. You know, if you're a parent, you haven't heard from your kid that day. Like that's really the only times day to day we think about it, but fear's always there. We're afraid of when we post on this little device of, are people going to like what I post? Is it good? Is somebody going to make fun of me? We're afraid that if we try something new, we're going to fail. And what happens if we fail? I know for me, like when I worried when I was younger, it's not just failing. But what does that say about me? Because my identity was so tied up in what I did versus who I was and how I was living out that. And so fear is a big one for me of, of just helping people understand that if you feel fear, that makes you normal. And it's not that the greats are fearless. It's actually they just learn to change their relationship with fear and how they process it. And more than anything, how they learn to be courageous, which is the idea of taking action while you're afraid. Courage isn't being fearless. It's learning to move while you're scared. Well, I think also um, one of the things that you you just touched on, I, I want to go a little bit deeper, is, how, you know, those of us that are in this, in this, in this world of mindset and performance, and so many people that listen to this podcast are as well, that idea that like our, especially our primitive brain is really always trying to keep us safe and yep. help us survive, right? And so like the idea that the social constructs around us activate our fear on, you know, that they say like the, the, the pain of rejection activates the same piece of the brain as like physical pain. Right. Yep. And so like, talk to me about that. And, and maybe, I don't know some of the ways that you get a, a, around it, 
um, as, as far as like putting yourself, because you're a republic, you're putting yourself out there, you're putting out videos, you're doing all that stuff. And like, you're launching things and like, that's really scary. And so like, I think a lot of times people just aren't aware that they are acting in a way to avoid that. So how have you brought that into your life? Yeah. You know, for me, it's been a heavy push on shifting the focus off of myself onto what I'm trying to do. Because when I'm posting and promoting stuff, it's, it's how can I help someone else versus what are they going to think of me? And that's mm-hmm. been a long struggle. I mean, I was an only child growing up. I love to get attention. I, I craved, you know, like a lot of kids, I craved being accepted in school and, and you didn't want to do anything to stand out. But the older I got, I realized like I was letting the fear of other people's opinions really leave me with more regret because I wasn't going after the things I wanted and doing the things I wanted to do. And so it really started to change when I started speaking, actually years ago. And one of my coaches told me, he said, when you get on stage, you're in service of the audience. It's not about you. And what really stuck with me about that is a lot of us, public speaking is what the number one fear. It's more people, the Jerry Seinfeld joke is more people would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. And like that, I always laugh about that because we get up there and we're like, what if I say is something stupid? Like, what if I mess up? What if my flies down? Like we we go up there and all we're looking at is internal. Me, me, Mm -hmm. me, me, me. But if you go up there and say, man, how can I help these people? What can I do? You take your focus off you, your anxiety starts to calm a little bit. You're able to reframe a fear and nervousness toward excitement for the opportunity. And it really transforms the way you can show up in those moments. And so that focus piece is a big one that when I pull out the phone to do a video, first couple of videos, I mean, I look back and laugh at, they're horrendous, but everybody's first should be. (laughs) But the point is when you, when you hit record and, and you post something or you share something, it's about who am I trying to help and how am I trying to help them? Not, I hope somebody else likes that because at that point we're, we're going after the drug of acceptance and, and getting that social want yeah. that is really one of the more dangerous ones we can have because we become accustomed to living and dying off other people's opinions instead of our own efforts, how well we're showing up and what matters most to us. And Bronnie Ware said it best in, in her book, The Five Regrets of the Dying, that went viral 20 years ago now, yeah. uh, that the number one regret most people had was living a life for others instead of what was mm-hmm. true for themselves. And so they allowed the fear of other people's opinions to dictate how they showed up. And that's mm-hmm. always stuck with me because the last thing we want is to get to where there's no time left on the clock with the burden that we didn't do what we wanted because we were worried about for a lot of instances, what strangers we would never meet in real life had to say about what we were going to do. It's interesting you bring that up because as always in my life, when I am studying something or writing about it, it starts showing up everywhere. Like this is the conversation. I just literally just wrote about this. We literally just talked about this in the transformation project, which is my new small group training program. And when you said strangers, it made me remember that to me, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this. I think a lot of us understand the idea of public speaking and, you know, putting out a video onto social media and hearing crickets and like the absolute visceral reaction our brain has. But I think what is also important and not talked about enough is the people closest to us and the roles that we've played and the idea that we are on this path that we've gotten really comfortable with. And that disrupting it, and I always give the the example, I'm sure I know a lot of your people in your group, in your community are into fitness and weight loss and being healthy. Like the idea that like, 
you're around a lot of people that aren't healthy and all of a sudden you're the one that's trying to be healthy. And like our brains, there's a part of our brain that doesn't want that. There's a part of our brain that doesn't want to stick out, especially maybe, you know, strangers, maybe you can get over, but the people that are closest to us. So how do, how do you get over that? And are you aware of it in your life? Do you see it in your community? Like, talk to me about that. Cause I think that's kind of almost like a different thing. Cause it's so much easier to think oh, yeah. well, people around me love me. And so they're happy for me if I'm, you know, losing weight or getting in better shape and look better than them. And yeah. it's like, there's always gonna be that resistance, right? Always. And I realized that early on starting my business because I had friends, parents of friends who would be like, yeah. are you doing that shirt thing? Like, you gotta go get a real <laughs> job. Like they just didn't understand it. And so what I had to do was create distance from those type of people. One of the things I talked about in my book is, is kind of the starting lineup, the five people that are closest yeah. to you in your life. And it plays off of the Jim Rohn phrase that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And so mm -hmm. if you are that one striving individual and the four or five other people you hang out with aren't, as, try as you may to pull them up and inspire them to change, average says they're going to pull you down. Yeah. And I think a lot of us as adults are not intentional with the people we invest time with. I think we just hang out with who's convenient because they're neighbors or we see them at work or our kids may play together. Instead of going out of our way and saying, how can I develop relationships with the type of people who are aligned with me from a life standpoint? They mm -hmm. want to grow. They want to get better. They'll challenge me as much as they'll encourage me versus just telling me what I like to hear or talking me out of going after stuff that maybe makes them uncomfortable. And I think as adults, like we have to be very, very intentional with that. It's not to say we can't hang out with other people. And, and you may have friends now that you hang out with and you're the healthy person and they're not. But maybe instead of hanging out with them every week or multiple days a week, you hang out with them every two weeks and then every three to four weeks. And you create space in that relationship so that you're more intentional with who you're around because you're around people, you're consuming things mentally from the conversations you have, from the types of conversations you have. Are they talking about goals and how they're working through problems and challenges? Or are they gossiping about other people and complaining about everything that they could have the ability to change? And so that's a big key piece of it. And so I'm constantly evaluating relationships in terms of who am I going to for counsel? Who am I spending a lot of time with? Are they the type of people that they're challenging and pulling the best out of me? They're wanting me to grow as well as, well as picking me up when I fall? Or are they the people that continue to just kind of make me feel good or chasing things that just really aren't important in the same sense as me? And so that really helps reframe what we're consuming and what we're hearing because the right people are going to ask you the tough questions that are really going to make you evaluate. Am I going to go after this? Do I feel comfortable doing this? Will I do this? Why am I worried about it? But then they're also going to be the same people that are going to tell you they believe in you and to give it a shot. Mm -hmm. I'm really aware of it right now. Um, you know, especially coming off the, you know, I guess we're not off the pandemic, but a lot of time at home the last couple of years. And, um, my company's making a big income leap yep. and I'm noticing, I'm trying to be really aware of what the internal primitive brain of myself is feeling as far as like, how are other people going to feel about how, and how is that going to make me feel about their feelings yeah. <laughs> about me going to another level? And, you know, that's why we have our mastermind for our mindset coaches. And that's why we're doing a retreat in the fall, because I think it's like, to be around people, to not always be the smartest person in the room, right? I mean, like that is such 
a big part and something that I feel like I, I, I'm trying to seek out in my life. It's hard. You know, I have a lot of successful people around me, but they're not entrepreneurs necessarily, you know, which is a totally different thing. So I'm going to get a little bit off topic, but I, I guess what I'm saying is I, I'm noticing it in myself and trying to be really aware of it. Um, because it's also, it's not even, it's not even other people. It's like your perception about being on another level than other people and, and what you think about what they're thinking. There's just this part of us that just doesn't want to be different. Yeah, no. And, and it's always about that blending in. There's a, there's a video on social media from a few years ago that goes viral every so often of this guy just like dancing his heart out at a park or at some concert. <laughs> Nobody's so. dancing. And then finally one person does with him and then yeah. another. And then all of a sudden everybody else does it. Nobody wants to be the first, but once they see it socially acceptable, they go do it. And so, video. yeah, it's, it's a wild, you know, that psychology side of, of us because we're afraid of the primitive days of being ostracized from the tribe and then you're dead because you needed the community and people. And where we have to go today is continually focus on what's in our control, being intentional with who we hang out with, which is why I think your retreat masterminds are so important because entrepreneurship is lonely. And if oh, you're starting yes. your own practice and you're doing stuff, you're on a roller coaster emotionally, mentally, that people that have never been in that position cannot understand. Mm -hmm. And from the outside, they're going to tell you different things that probably aren't the best advice because they've never walked in that situation. So being in those rooms and being in those situations are so incredibly important. I mean, that was the one thing I probably missed most during the last few years was I would always spend one to two weekends a year going to events to just make sure I was in a room with really smart people and people I could learn with and network with. And mm -hmm. 2020 didn't have it. I got to right. go to one, uh, one at the end of 2021 that was a lot of people in kind of our same industry. Actually, Amy and your community was there. We got to meet and hang out. Oh, yeah. And it was just one of those rooms where it's like, get in a room with a bunch of people who want to get better who don't care who's the, who's the biggest person in the room or who's the smallest. They're just all there to say, how can we learn from each other? How can we get better? And how yeah. can we just deal with the similar challenges? And so that's crucial because it all goes back to the relationship piece with who you're spending time with, with obviously what you're consuming based off of that. And that's going to help you either make more courageous decisions or continue to make more out of fear. And we all know from a mental perspective, operating out of fear versus operating out of gratitude or abundance, how that shows up in a physical sense. It's every decision in life. But I think, you know, from a leadership standpoint or a coaching standpoint, or even a parenting standpoint, I think um, obviously understand that on a, on a personal level and how we are all doing it. Yeah. You know, I can say all day long, I don't give a shit what people think. And I can try that and I can practice that. And I do. And there's times when I can, live that, but it's not all the time. No. Right. And, and so I think for a lot, what I see with coaches too, is like, sometimes there's, uh, and I'm sure you're seeing this with your, with your leaders and corporate world stuff. Like if someone wants to be the best and is working towards being, let's say the best or being successful, there is likely a part of them that also doesn't want that. <laughs> and, and, and not acknowledging the price that the social price of being better than the people around you, I think is, um, oh, it gives that, that power. It gives it power when you're not even aware 
that there's a part of you that's going to be pulling you back to, to the tribe, so to speak, in the group. Yeah. There's uh there's an exercise Tim Ferriss does. He does it monthly. I would recommend it quarterly or annually. It's called fear setting. And it's essentially writing down what your fears are. And then how are you going to respond to them? If this happens, what will I do? And then what will I do next? So you think from a very basic level, what if I get divorced tomorrow? What if my spouse serves me papers? Emotionally, what am I going to go through? But then how will I handle this? What am I going to do? It's not my life is over. I still have the rest of my life. How am I going to respond? And he said, what that process does for him and what I found helpful just myself going through it is it helps you almost just the same as visualization of an imperfect play and how you're Mm going to respond to it is it helps one reduce that fear a little bit. And at the same sense, allow you to say, if this happens emotionally, I'm going to go through all this. I'm going to deal with all these feelings, but here's how I'm going to respond. And here's somewhat of a plan I have versus feeling like I don't know what to do. And I got the wind knocked out of me and, and I don't know where to go. And so he does it all the time to consistently reduce those fears so that he allow or make sure that they don't overwhelm him or prevent him from making the best decisions he needs to going forward. Yeah. It sounds like a kind of like a little audit and an mm-hmm. audit and release kind of thing. Yep. That's great. So speaking of action, you know, we always like to talk about what actionable things people can do. And I know earlier we were talking about like these choices that people make. So if we're moving from, okay, I got fear in my life. I love that Tim Ferriss exercise. I got fear. I'm trying to, uh, you know, manage my brain as far as like sticking out and being successful and and all these things that come up. Um, what kind of things do you talk about in your in your workshops and in your coaching that help people on a day to day basis actually do this? Yeah, one of the things I love to really start with a lot of folks with is really kind of understanding where you're operating out of. Like, what are your kind of four to five core values that you want to live by, that you want to be known by, like what best describes you. So for me, I look at it from a standpoint of competition It is part of who I am every single day. How am I competing to be better than I was? Uh, You know, boldness is one of the ones I look for too, because I don't want to do anything small. Um, I look at it from servant leadership standpoint. I I have kind of my core values. Mm -hmm. And I, once I actually took the time to identify all of them, and say, yep. okay, what is really important to me? It gave me a new lens with, from which I evaluate every action and choice. And especially the big ones, the ones where we get that knot in our stomach, when we're a little uncomfortable, maybe sweaty palms, those bigger life decisions or opportunities to walk across the bar and ask someone out or terrified that we're going to get rejected. Once I kind of know what my values are, I can ask and say, which choice or action aligns best with who I want to be and the values I want to live up to. And if I'm somebody who embraces competition and boldness, well, competition, you you don't win every time. That's the beauty of it. You win or you're going to learn where the gap is between where you are and what it's going to take to win. Mm -hmm. And you can learn those lessons and apply those lessons and get better. So if I look at it at that sense of saying, walking across the bar and ask someone out, I can be living out of fear and say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm going to say something stupid or they're going to reject me or say, no, what's the worst that's going to happen? All their friends are going to laugh at me. Or I can say, I actually want to be a person that operates out of boldness and competition. So I'm either going to get the phone number or I'm going to maybe learn how to do it differently next time. And if I want to live with boldness, I got to go do that. I can't play small. And it really on a day-to-day basis, whether you're in a sales presentation, whether you're having a conversation with your kid, leaving a, a softball game, 
everything starts to flow through those values. And once you start to live out that, it helps you one, better evaluate fear from kind of a step back. I'm feeling the feeling of fear. I know I'm afraid right now, but what's the best choice to make in this moment for who I want to be? And at the same time, be more consistent with how you see the world and how you show up. I love that. Because um, I mean, when you go back to like those, the, the life regrets or whatever, whatever that book is, we all know, um, you know, I imagine a lot of it is through those, like, if we're, if we're just trying to be successful, we're just trying to do well in the world. It's like, it's so ambiguous. It's like, yeah, you know, how you, how you know. And so like to have these, we call them life pillars in our training, but it's the same thing. It's like, what are you measuring things against? Who, and like, I love what you said. Just like, who do you want to be? And always measuring it against that versus like some. I don't know, magical number, magical place that you're supposed to be arriving at. I mean, because you have, you have people in this world that make $65,000 a year that consider themselves a huge success because they get to go home to their kids. They get the freedom to travel. They get to do exactly what they want in life because they determined who they want to be and what success looked like for them. And it wasn't a specific number. And on the other hand, you have people that make six to $10 million a year that absolutely are miserable. They don't consider themselves a success because they define success by maybe a dollar amount or a specific number. And then they got there and they realized, well, this is it. Like, where, where's the rest of it? They don't have that alignment with their pillars. They don't yeah. have anything other than this single outcome. And so that's a huge, huge component of it, of knowing those pillars, like you talk about living in alignment with them. Because then, as you know, it becomes about the process and the growth yeah. and who we become on the journey while hopefully influencing and creating outcomes that we desire. So that's sort of like the, the top level, right? So yep. when we talked about like the, the, we call them pillars, you call them, would you call yep. them values? Yeah. Your yeah. values, your five values. Yeah. 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 And do you talk about that in your book? Speaking of the compete every day? Actually don't talk it's, about it. It's in, the, it's in the next book. I'm it's sure. It's going right? to be in the next one. There yep. you go. Okay. Um, great book, by the way, you sent it to me a while yep. ago. So definitely highly recommend that. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, Let's talk about the choices, the day-to-day, the can't-see choices that we talked about earlier. How does that play into this? Yeah. So what I love to say is the can't-see choices we make every day create our can't-miss results. In a very physical sense, the easiest way I love to explain this is at 5 a.m. every morning or 6 a.m. every morning, your alarm goes off. You have two choices. Hit the snooze button and sleep for another 30 minutes to an hour or get up and go outside and go for a run, go work out. In that moment, we have no idea what choice you made unless we see you out on a run. We see you taking a selfie on Instagram. Like that's the only time we know that. You could lie every day and say, oh, I get up and run. And every morning you're actually hitting snooze. However, over the course of six to 12 months, we will 100% be able to see the results. We can't miss them because either your waistline's gotten bigger, you don't look healthy, you're not able to run, you're winded, or you look like you're running marathons and you're in great shape. You've lost weight. Like in the moment, we don't know. It's a can't see choice. Over time, It's a can't miss result. And so when we as a society get so obsessed on the outcome and the big picture, and and we come out of the gates on January 1st, trying to change everything for New Year's resolutions, we fail to see that success is teeny tiny, can't see choices every single day. And so when it comes to, to time management, as we talked about at the beginning, if you get off track, it's a can't see choice to say, I'm going to reset. And I'm going to, how am I going to get back on track with how I manage my time? If you are getting upset at your kid because they're screaming nonstop at you and and you get really loud and you're like, later, you're like, man, I wish I hadn't responded that way. 
you have the can't see choice to say, I'm going to file it away and man, hopefully I don't do it next time. Or how can I be more intentional with how I talk to my child about what just happened and how I respond in the future of holding my patients? Those little things kind of stack up. And so when it comes to fear, it's asking ourselves questions. What's the most important thing now? What's the, what's the next choice I need to make? We, we have a journal called When You're Next that's all about this idea of just when your next choice. If you failed this last one, if you ate pizza at lunch and you meant to have salad, make sure you have salad or grilled chicken or fish at dinner instead of writing off the rest of the day, the week, the month, the year, because you had pizza for lunch. With fear, if you know like me, 19 years old, I had a chance to chase after a sports dream after recovering from an injury and fear got in my ear and it got into my gut. And I believe this idea that I had to listen to my gut and that what if I failed at the one thing I thought I was really good at? How would that make me a failure? And, and I went through all of these things and it taught me out of chasing. And I spent over a decade of just like carrying the burden of regret for that moment when what I should have done is started to acknowledge why am I feeling this fear? What's going on right now? What's the worst that could happen? What's the best that could happen? And what's the next step I should probably take? And so it's a matter of simply learning to interview ourselves mm-hmm. and going through the process of understanding what we're afraid of and maybe why we're afraid of it. And the more we talk about it or write it down, which I always love to talk about the importance of just putting pen to paper, because when you see it on paper, it changes your relationship a lot of times with what you're afraid of and working through it. And for some of us, the things that terrify us, those people that champion us that are right alongside us in life would look at that and be like, you're crazy. You can easily do that and overcome that. Like, what what are you worried Mm -hmm. about? I have full faith in you. But because we keep it all inside, or because we haven't been intentional with who we hang out with, we keep it bottled up and it grows bigger and bigger and bigger. And it kind of becomes an overwhelming thing versus going small and saying, okay, if this is the choice, what would be the best choice for tomorrow's version of me if I can make the right one today? I mean, I think what I love about that is like the micro, right? I mean, I think so often people get paralyzed. I mean, all of us do, right? And like, the, the idea that you are able to look at your life again, sort of like with that, that bird's eye view, instead of like getting so caught up in the emotions of, of regret or what you should have done or fear and like s- being able to step back is such a brave thing to do. And I think it can be so hard unless of course it isn't. <laughs> so my coach always used to say, you know, unless you do, you make it hard. But being able to take the time to do that. And then with the action, I love the idea of like small incremental things, because I think like trying to do so much and be perfect and like have these big, huge goals. That's such like a, a, it's just an American thing, really. And I I love that, you know, I'm, I'm like, that is my nature, but like the ability to also do something today because otherwise we get into self-sabotage. Things get way too much. They get way overwhelming. And then we get paralyzed. We do. I mean, you think about starting a business for a lot of people. They're like, I don't know what to do. What's one thing you could do today? I I could Google trademarks to make sure my brand name isn't trademarked. Awesome. Tomorrow. Well, I I could Google and figure out how to file paperwork with the city. Sweet. Two days from now, I'll print the paperwork and file it with the city. Like it's we eat an elephant the same way we eat a donut. It's one bite at a time. We just get overwhelmed staring at the elephant, wondering where to start, what to do versus saying, okay, what's one bite? What's one thing I can do? And and going from there, 
because we're never, I mean, you knew this when you started your business, you didn't know every single step all the way from then till today, Mm -hmm. but you took one and you saw a few and you figured out, okay, how do I get to that one? And what steps can I take? And any habit, anything we build, when we go big, we tend to sabotage ourselves or Mm -hmm. we mess up once and we can never get back on track versus, I need to start working out. I'm just going to, for 15 minutes a day, I'm going to go for a walk around the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And then maybe I'll turn that into a job. And then from there I'll grow, but I'm going to do it over the course of six to 12 months versus trying to do it all in six days. Well, I mean, and and, you know, not to be too self-serving for both of us, but that's where coaching comes in, right? Like the ability to have somebody say, okay, there's 1 million steps that you need to take to get from here to there, but we're going to start with this one. And, you know, I think that's, but that's also a way to self-sabotage is like, I'm going to make it super hard for me by doing it myself, whatever it is, losing weight, starting a business, whatever. I'm going to make it so hard for myself that I can't possibly do it. And then I'll blame myself. (laughs) Then I'll just tell, and then I'll tell myself that it was impossible. When in fact, all you need to do is find somebody else that had done it. Yep. I I laugh. One of my coaching clients, we actually uh, had a call this morning. And he was super frustrated because a lot of his team, he's very much alpha program. Like coach, everybody says, do it. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. I'm going to do it immediately. Yeah. And a lot of his team doesn't share that. And I had to explain, I was like, listen, you have a very different upbringing and background than the rest of your team. Mm -hmm. You expecting them to behave just like you is not who they are, nor has it been effectively communicated that way. So let's step back and look at how we're slowly communicating these things and empowering those people. And let's look at it a little bit at a time so that a month or two months from now, they're stepping up more the way you want them to versus you expecting them to be all in right out of the gate when that's just not who they are. So let's go small. And just like you said, that's the same way. That's why a coach is coming in so helpful. That's why It's so awesome that the work you do from a certification program of helping people get to that point where they can help others, you're creating that nice chain reaction and changing how people see themselves and how they show up. Well, and I think that, you know, for so many of us, especially, you know, our communities are a lot of athletes and high performers Mm -hmm. and like us, and we tend to make things hard. It's like, that's our, it's like, if things aren't hard, we must be doing it wrong. We could go on a whole nother podcast about that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's go on. I got five rapid fire questions for you before we wrap this up. Okay. What info are you consuming right now? Ooh, I just finished a coaching sales manager book because I wanted some insight on that. But my next one is work the system. Seen it referred by a handful of them, but it's a uh, simple mechanics of making more and working less. Sounds like oh, uh, there we go. A lot of conversation. Yeah, yeah, that sounds so great. I, my wait. my books rotate between leadership, mental performance, obviously sports psychology, sales, and then some marketing and entrepreneurship as well. And a little romance novel thrown in uh, there just for fun. <laughs> I got I got no romance. I do have some science fiction or some Stephen King mixed in, but that's about it. There you go. It's good to get your brain working on something else. Yep. Um, what are you creating? Ooh, creating. Uh, right now, I actually just finished recreating my contextual models for teaching and training. So I'm super excited about that competitive advantage model and how we're using it either on the individual side or within an entire company. Okay. And so if people are interested in you as a speaker, that would be what you would come in and teach, right? 
Yeah. So I do it as a keynote. We kind of hit the high level based on really what the client needs from an outcome takeaway standpoint, because we talk about the inner person from a mindset, focus and habit standpoint. We talk about the alongside leadership and development within an organization. And then we talk about from the exterior, the client or the customer client side, the branding and what messages you're giving to the marketplace and then how you're impacting your community. So we look at it from all three of those areas to build it. Uh, But keynotes, we do high level. And then my clients that I work with on an ongoing basis, we actually deep dive on a monthly basis or quarterly basis on how we actually implement it throughout the organization. Cool, cool. Um, What's one uh, healthy habit that you do daily? Uh, Workout. Workout every day. And people think that's crazy, but my rest days are usually 15, 20 minute walks around the neighborhood. So I'm still moving. Um, But I find that uh, the more I can do that, the clearer my head is. Or if I have just a really crappy day going in the garage, turning on some music and just doing a nasty workout is the best way to just let it go and clear the mind for a while so I can refocus on what I need to tackle. Well, I think a lot of people listening to this understand that. Yep. What's your next big leap? Ah, uh, book two. As we go. talked about off air, I'm getting a couple of things in place on in our company side, uh, but then it's finishing book two. And do you know what it's going to be about? I do. Uh, similar to what we talked about today. It's called When You're Next. It's all about the idea in sports. You can't make this play if you're worried about the, the mess up or the victory you just had. And so how do we remain mindful in the day-to-day uh, and not get derailed when we have a slip up or setback or make a bad choice. Cool. What is bringing you joy or wonder right now? Uh, joy every day is probably the three things right underneath my desk <laughs> and my uh, my crazy dogs. Uh, they so they're one quiet. They've been quiet this whole time. They have been quiet. They're sound asleep. Actually, one of them was snoring uh, during. And I didn't know if the mic picked <laughs> it up. Uh, Yeah, I've got a 12-year-old boxer named Sugar, a six-year-old Frenchie named Biscuit, and a five-year-old Frenchie we adopted around Christmas named Donut. And they are are the funniest pair. And it's that's the one thing when I'm coming home, like I'm so excited to go see them because my in-laws live right by DFW Airport. So I drop them off on the way and then I pick them up as soon as I get back. And it's just when a dog has a parent come home and they're so excited, like nothing beats that. Because I think like at some point, because I don't have kids yet, but kids are like, eh, go away. They're not always <laughs> excited to see you, but dogs are always excited when you walk in the door. That's really cute. Um, and how can everybody find you? Yeah, easiest way to find me is to competeeveryday.com. Uh, it's compete every day on every social media. And then for me personally, I just love to hang out on LinkedIn and Instagram. And you can find me at Jake Thompson Speaks. Jake, thank you so much for taking the time. I always enjoy our time on so many different levels, entrepreneur-wise, and just seeing what you're doing in your in your world. And I appreciate you taking the time to share with our community all your in, insight and, and wonderful steps that you're sharing with all of us. So thank you. You bet. Always energized by our conversations and just honored to hang out on the show this week. Well, thanks, Jake. We'll talk soon. Well, I hope you love this interview as much as I did. I just always love sitting down with Jake. Again, you can check him out at competeeveryday.com. They got super cool gear. I know he has a podcast as well. He's great on Instagram. I think just all of his content really is, is, it's about athletes. It's about pushing yourself. It's about doing it every day. And I think he's got some great messages that can keep all of us sort of on track with this stuff. But again, I just love how actionable his thoughts are, right? Things that we can actually implement in our day-to-day life, which of course we're all about here at Positive Performance. So I hope you loved it. If you did, please share it with someone that you think might benefit from it. And of course, rate and review our podcast. We sure do appreciate it. And 
We will see you soon. Thanks so much for joining us. Bye for now. Hey, if you loved this episode, make sure to check out all of our free and paid resources over at positiveperformancetraining.com. You want to take mindset training to the next level? We got you. But here are three more specific ways. If you want to take mindset training and live it more in your life, definitely subscribe to this podcast. We send out bonus episodes. We have our mental Mondays. We have interviews and training episodes. Definitely subscribe. If you want to teach it, meaning taking it to your athletes, your clients, I highly recommend Psychology of Competition. Again, you can check that out at positiveperformancetraining.com. It is a great course that will teach you and your athletes how to have pre, during, and post-competition routines to up your performance. And if you want to learn how to have a mindset coaching business in order to sell mindset coaching, highly recommend signing up for our waitlist for our next certification cohort, which usually opens about once a year. But in the meantime, go to positiveperformancetraining.com and check out our ultimate mindset coaching toolkit. Well, it will show you exactly how to get started with your first mindset coaching clients. Again, go to positiveperformancetraining.com for all of our free and paid resources.